This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. About three years ago, the industry that loves disrupting saw some major disruption. All of a sudden, these guys showed up with $100 billion to do venture investing. Everyone's like, where do they come from? Who are they? These new guys entering Silicon Valley were from something called the Vision Fund, a venture capital fund started by a Japanese company called SoftBank. And they had a lot of money to invest in startups. Last year, all of the U.S. venture capital funds combined had $55 billion. This one fund had almost twice that, $100 billion. Immediately, the Vision Fund started pouring billions of dollars into startups. Uber, DoorDash, WeWork, Slack, some of the biggest out there. And every dollar the fund invested was a bet on the future of these companies, that they would change the world. Sheer optimism is like built into the foundation of the Vision Fund, and it works really well when things are going up. But now, this fund built on optimism is meeting reality. Some of the company's investments aren't performing. There are divisions inside the organization. And all of this poses a risk. A risk for the investors, for the startups that took the Vision Fund money, and for the broader economy. Today on the show, the strife inside the Vision Fund, the most influential investing fund in the world. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, November 4th. Everything about the Vision Fund is weird. Once you understand that, it all starts to make a lot more sense. Like, whatever you're imagining <laughs> mm-hmm. is like a traditional venture fund or investing fund, just like throw it out the window. Almost none of those rules apply here. Liz Hoffman covers finance and has been reporting on the recent troubles at the Vision Fund. And the weirdness of this fund begins with its initial ambition. The idea is the brainchild of SoftBank's CEO, uh, Masayoshi San. His whole idea was to take SoftBank, this sort of creaky old Japanese telecommunications company, and turn it into like the Warren Buffett of technology. So mm-hmm. it have this, this stable of companies that were all going to change the world. Masa-san has these big ideas that need to be like built. They actually need to be paid for, and someone needs to put the ink on the paper. And the guy he hired to do it is a guy named Rajiv Misra. Misra is an unusual choice to run any venture capital fund, let alone the biggest in the world. His resume doesn't look like those in charge at other firms. Rajiv worked after college at Los Alamos, the place where they made the nuclear bombs. He worked at a startup, was sold to Microsoft, bounced around, finally made his way to Wall Street. He worked at Merrill Lynch and at Deutsche Bank, designing really complicated derivatives and all kinds of trading stuff. He oversaw some traders who had the big short against the U.S. housing market in the run-up to 2008. Uh Uh-huh. They were the people that put their money on betting that the housing market was going to collapse, basically. That's right. How did he come to be involved in the Vision Fund? He got to know uh, Masa San back in 2006. Masa was doing a big telecom deal. He wanted to buy this big 
cell phone carrier. The only problem was that he didn't have any money. And uh, he called his banker. Rajiv was his banker at Deutsche Bank. And Rajiv found him $16 billion. And that tends to make people very close. Yeah. What, hiding in the couch cushions? <laughs> he, <laughs> you come up with that like, kind of money. You talk to people about Rajiv and they'll say he's just a money spinner. Like, he never found something he couldn't structure. They couldn't sort of, he's a debt wizard and does all kinds of crazy, really complicated financial structuring. And his view of the world is there's always money somewhere. And that's what Rajiv has always done. He's always found money to let Masa do what Masa wants to do. Mm -hmm. And you've met Rajiv. What is he like? Rajiv is a character. Um, He pads around their offices barefoot in London. It's very... Uh, posh London townhouse. Uh-huh. He vapes constantly. He is rarely without a, a jewel in hand. What are some of his other quirks? The one that everyone will tell you about is he has a habit when he meets people and he gets their business card and he chews on it. Chews on tends their business to leave, card. Tends to leave an impression, yeah. Did he do that to your business card? No. <laughs> no. All right, that's okay. I don't hand out business cards. I'm a reporter of the 21st century, Ryan. Oh, you just say follow me on Twitter? Exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, what does Rajiv's presence at the Vision Fund say about the Vision Fund? It's a head-scratcher. There are a lot of people in the world who know a lot about venture capital investing and know a lot about private equity investing and how to really manage a big fund. I would not say he is at the top of the list if you were sending a headhunter out there to do it. Unlike most head honchos of VC firms, Rajiv Misra is a debt expert. And so when the Vision Fund went out to raise the $100 billion to invest in startups, he did something that other venture capitalists would be very reluctant to do. He piled on debt. Of the $100 billion that the Vision Fund raised, about $40 billion of that is borrowed. They borrowed it mostly from the Saudi Arabian government. And what's unusual about that is that debt is super risky. So Ryan, if I give you $100, not a loan, but I give this to you and I say, I think you're a really smart investor, go put it in some companies, and you lose it, like, that's unfortunate, I've lost $100. If I loan you $100 and you have to pay me back and you go and lose it, well, then you're in trouble because you owe me money that you don't have. Right, then we're, both of us are in trouble because I don't have the money to pay you back and you're expecting to get that money back and you're yes. not getting it. And by the way, when it's $100, the bank can survive. When it's $40 billion, it's a bigger problem. If the Vision Fund's bets didn't work out, it would be on the hook for a lot of money. Because not only did they borrow the money, the Vision Fund also promised that it would pay some investors 7% interest on that money. Which means that people running the fund had to place their bets wisely. And those decisions were being made within an organization that's just three years old. The Vision Fund is itself a startup. It started with 25 people. Now it has 400 people. And so think of a startup like a baby. And, like, they need parents to watch out for them and a crib that has, like, walls so that they don't fall out and someone who's making sure they're not choking on everything. Um, And so the concern here is that you have a startup that's taking care of other startups. Mm -hmm. And the baby is looking out for other babies. Yes, It's like a baby babysitting service run by babies. That's actually a really good analogy because that's exactly what little startups need is that they need structure, guide you along this way. Yeah, the adult in the room. And so if the adult in the room also happens to be a startup, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily the best recipe for success. And it has not been. Startups are looking for two things when they go to a venture capitalist. They need money and then they need structure and guidance and operational support and introductions and connections and all kinds of stuff. SoftBank has so much of the former that they haven't really had to 
focused too much on having the latter, that they've been able to elbow their way into investments simply by showing up with huge checks, you do worry that these small, young companies that need a lot of care and attention don't get it because they're one of 85 companies that SoftBank invested in in 18 months. Maybe they're not getting the kind of support they need and probably getting more money than they need. And again, it takes to torture the metaphor, like you've given the baby your credit card and they're off buying all kinds uh-huh. of baby things and you can see it ending badly. After the break, the conflict inside the Vision Fund that may impact whether it does, in fact, end badly. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at C3.ai. Welcome back. Once the Vision Fund raised its $100 billion, it started spending the money quickly. They spent a billion dollars a week their first year. Uh, a week. A week. They had $100 million. The plan they were telling investors was to spend it over four or five years and then kind of recoup the gains over the next, you know, five or seven years. They spent it in two. Most venture capital firms write pretty small checks. They tend to do a lot of diligence. They want to keep their sort of portfolio of companies small and very curated. And the one rule of startup investing is never give a founder more money than they know what to do with because they'll do stupid things with it, Mm -hmm. right? That capital, while companies need it, can actually be a curse if they have too much of it because they lose some of the discipline. SoftBank famously does not write checks less than $100 million dollars. The companies that SoftBank makes those $100 million checks out to tend to be the ones that SoftBank's CEO, Masayoshi Son, is most excited about. Those are usually tech companies with the potential to become unicorns. And people within the Vision Fund quickly realize certain techniques they could use to convince Masa-san about which companies to invest in. Masa has a very broad definition of what a tech company is. And what my colleague Bradley Hope and I found in our reporting was that the investors at the Vision Fund have found some kind of workarounds, some buzzy tech ways to get Masa to sign off on things. One of them is uh, he'll ask if a company has what's called demand pricing. So that's, you know, like when you get an Uber and it's raining and they charge you more. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the ability to charge certain customers sort of more fluctuate, or less. Yeah, yeah, based on demand. And, and I guess the thinking is that that should reflect some artificial intelligence under the hood, and it's enough for them to think, yes, that's a tech company. People internally picked up on that and they thought, work that into the sales pitch, yes. essentially. I should say, a spokesman for the Vision Fund said that they do extensive due diligence, they meet with founders, they have group presentations, and that they ultimately invest in a very small percentage of companies that come to them for money. What about in terms of how the investment teams within the Vision Fund sort of get along with one another? 
Our reporting showed there was not a lot of structure. People were not particularly staying in their own lanes. We would hear stories from current and former executives of the Vision Fund and entrepreneurs that they were investing in of founders who'd been turned down by one group at the fund uh, only to go to another one and start talking about another deal. So so they would basically play people inside of the Vision Fund off of each other. One person would say, well, no, we're not going to invest. And they would just go to somebody else who yes. might. And there was so little coordination and communication inside the fund that people didn't know. And that created some tensions as the fund kind of scaled up. So there's all this dysfunction. There's all this tension. Management sees it. And last year, they brought in an outside consultant to interview all the employees and deliver a report about the fund's culture. And, and what they found was pretty troubling. Here, I'll, I'll just read some things from the report that they prepared. And these are quotes from executives at the Vision Fund. People are actively hiding deals from each other. There is some blatant lying, misrepresentation, and a lot of posturing. People in the market are starting to play us off one another. I'm incentivized to gamble to look good, not work diligently on things. Everyone is out for themselves. And so the consultant analyzed words that kept coming up that were said by a lot of people, and you get things like rule-breaking, lack of trust, secrecy, chaotic, personality-driven. Are those words you think you'd hear people use to describe other VC funds? Look, finance is a little bit of a cutthroat place. It certainly can be. Um, and so I think anytime you have those kinds of egos and that kind of money at stake, for sure. I've covered a lot of companies in my career. I've never seen a report that was quite as troubling as this one. And I should say, they said they took it seriously, that they've been working to kind of improve their culture, that they've done follow-up surveys and, and they're better. They acknowledged that they had some growing pains at the beginning, just given how fast they were expanding. What is the significance, though, that the fund is having these sorts of internal problems. So not not really what you're looking for when you have the largest pile of money ever assembled on Earth and are trying to spend it wisely. They are, without a doubt, the single most important funder of this Silicon Valley boom that we're in. And good deals come out of good investment processes. If you have a bad process, you're going to end up making bad investments. They're eventually going to come home to roost. They're going to go down in value. And that's what we're starting to see at the Vision Fund now. Mm -hmm. Speaking of those deals, how did those internal problems start to sort of manifest themselves externally via the things that SoftBank Vision Fund is investing in? WeWork is probably the clearest example. Masa has been enchanted with WeWork from the moment that he met Adam Newman, the founder, and wanted to give WeWork $5 billion, wanted to invest $5 billion. And one thing that's built into the fund is that the big investors can veto transactions that are above a certain size, a couple billion dollars. And they threatened to veto it. And so Masa made it just small enough to squeeze right under the veto ceiling. So the kind of careful control and diligence that you expect when you invest in a company, SoftBank just didn't have it. There could be ripple effects from these kinds of decisions. The last time SoftBank told shareholders how the fund was doing was back in March. And at that time, SoftBank said the fund was doing well. Its value was up 29%. But since then, many of the fund's investments, both large and small, have fallen. The valuation at one of the Vision Fund's biggest investments, WeWork, recently fell from $47 billion to 8 And its stake in Uber is now worth less money than they originally invested. And Slack? The value of Slack stock has gone down by 43% since the end of its first day of trading back in June. But there are a few bright spots. 
I shouldn't suggest they're all duds. There are some other really big wins in the portfolio. They invested in a pharmaceutical company called Royvant, which um, has a, a couple of big drugs. They've invested in some uh, autonomous driving, which has a lot of potential, obviously. And by the way, venture capital is meant to have some duds. The idea is that the two big wins in the portfolio pay for the 10 misses. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got a lot of misses, and they don't have a lot of wins at the mm-hmm. moment. Fewer wins put more pressure on the wins that do exist. Because remember, the Vision Fund is structured on debt. Nearly half of the fund's money was borrowed, meaning they have to pay it back with interest. And if some companies aren't returning a profit, then other companies have to outperform their expectations by a lot in order to make up for the losses. If these startups don't turn it around, or if none of them are wind up being big, massive hits, what happens? It used to be that venture capital was this sort of small community, you know, full of people who'd been in the industry a long time. And if anything didn't work out, it was just on them. But now you have whole countries' governments that have billions of dollars riding on this. The experiment's getting out of the lab a little bit. But it's not just the government of Saudi Arabia that has something on the line. A lot of American investors have stock that's been influenced by the Vision Fund, whether it's through their 401ks or mutual funds. And that's helped fuel concerns about the economy overall. So what's happening in Silicon Valley right now looks an awful lot like a bubble. These valuations are getting higher and higher and higher without any real tethering to reality. And the Vision Fund is a huge contributor to that. They just have so much money. And if it is a bubble, it's going to burst at some point. There'll be huge ripple effects. It'll start with other private tech startups. It will bleed into public tech companies. You'll see it in the stock market. And there's impacts to that way beyond Silicon Valley. I mean, many people who didn't own homes got totally washed out in 2008. You know, the housing market is a much bigger market than the cool tech startup market. But there are Mm -hmm. collateral damages done whenever a whole sector of the economy takes a hit. You saw this 20 years ago, the the dot-com boom and bust. It bled into telecoms. It bled into other companies. and, And people lost their whole savings. While it's pretty unlikely that we are in a bubble on par with the tech bubble of the 90s or the housing bubble of 2008, people are still starting to question the flood of money that's been pouring into tech startups. It's one of the reasons so many startups that went public this year haven't done well. Silicon Valley ran on blind optimism, and people are starting to sober up now and look at these valuations, these investments, and sort of reevaluate the whole thing. And that's really bad for the Vision Fund because they own a lot of this stuff. And all of this sobering up is causing the Vision Fund to rethink its strategy, too, and make some changes. They're going to take smaller swings in the future. Executives are going to be sort of more financially accountable for the deals that they personally push. One thing the Vision Fund did that was unusual is they would back competitors, give two companies that compete with each other a lot of money, and it just you end up in a price war where they're just spending SoftBank's money to go after each other. Uh-huh. They're not going to do any of that anymore. The acute problem is really just trying to keep the Vision Fund from kind of unraveling. That's all for today, Monday, November 4th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting for this episode by Bradley Hope. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon.